Even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, we worship you because of who you are, O God. Because you are the way maker. You are the one who made a way out of our sin and out of our brokenness through your precious blood shed for the full forgiveness, the cleansing of all our sin. You are the one who made a way for the healing of our hearts, the strengthening of our hearts, the renewing and the reinvigorating and the giving of purpose to our lives in your kingdom. You're the way maker. You make a way past every obstacle that we face. You make a way for faith to be strengthened in us and for us to move from a place of faith to even greater faith. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that right now as we open your word, you would open the heavens and you would pour out faith upon us. You would increase faith in your nature, in your goodness to us and for us and through us. Pray this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I invite you to have a seat as we open God's Word together. And just stay in a... I recognize that many of us are in a tender place. Just stay in that place even as we open the Lord's Word. We're in a sermon series on growing up to maturity in Jesus Christ. We're all called to be conformed to his image and likeness. He's the firstborn in the family of God, and all God's children are called to grow up into him. He's the standard. And so we've been looking at attributes of Christ that we're called to grow up into. And last week, Pastor Jalisa brought an amazing message from the Lord about growing up into Christ's prayerfulness, his life of prayer, Prayer keeps us connected to God, communing with Him, centered in the truth of who He is and who we are in Him. And prayer moves us, or that place of prayer moves us and keeps us in a place of faith, where we are able to live and operate out of the faith that Jesus had. And so this morning we're going to be looking at Jesus' faith and what what He says about faith. We're going to do that by looking at Two passages, one a story and then a brief verse from the Gospel of John. But the passage is from Matthew, I believe it's chapter uh, 16, 17, sorry. Matthew 17, starting at verse 14. This story is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's a little bit different in each version. Mark's is the shortest. Luke's is the longest. Matthew's is in the middle. So I'll supplement a few details as we go along from Luke's. But in each context, it's recorded right after Peter, James, and John have gone up the mountain with Jesus and have encountered God's glory. 
Remember, you might remember a cloud descends upon them and they hear the voice of the Lord saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. I'm well pleased with him. Listen to him. And Elisha and Moses appear and Peter gets all dumbstruck and says, Lord, it's so good to be here. Let's put up some tents. You know, he's kind of like, what do you do when you're in the presence of God? You don't know what to say. And um, they come down from the mountain. And this is what happens when they come down from the mountain. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And then I think your Bibles should show a little 21 with a little A behind it. Do you have that? Yeah, that references a verse that's not included here, but um, is included in the other versions and in some manuscripts where Jesus says this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. So he's giving just a little bit more information to his disciples about why they were struggling. And um, the prayer and fasting is not to convince God, but it's to have their faith strengthened in order to be able to face that spirit and drive it out. The verse from John is John chapter 14, verse 12, where Jesus says, this is the night before his death, and he's speaking to his disciples, and he says to them, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And the key word there is believes. Whoever believes in me. The word of God. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, I want to start with a story that I I heard recently in a sermon by a a rather well-known pastor who um, shared that it was a true story, but didn't share his source. And so I can't verify the source, as I don't have the original source, but I think its point is well worth sharing. So I just wanted to share that as a caveat. So here's the story. Mount Vernon, Texas, has a little bar called Drummond's Bar. And Drummond's Bar began construction on uh, expansion of their building so that they could increase their, their business. And in response, the local Baptist church started a campaign to block the bar from expanding with both petitions that they were filing with the government and prayers. So work progressed right until the week before the grand reopening when lightning struck the bar and it burned to the ground. After the bar burnt 
to the ground by a lightning strike, the church folks were rather smug in their outlook, bragging about the power of prayer. That is, until the bar owner sued the church on the grounds that the church was ultimately responsible for the demise of his building, either through direct or indirect actions and means. In its reply to the court, the church denied all responsibility or any connection to the building's demise. The judge read through the plaintiff's complaint and the defendant's reply, and at the opening hearing, he commented, I don't know how I'm going to decide this, but it appears from the paperwork that we have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire church congregation that does not. It's funny, but if it's true, it really does call into question what do we believe about the effectiveness of the things that we pray or that we say in Jesus' name? Jesus has a tremendous amount to say about faith, much more than what we're going to read this morning. But I would like to just take a brief look at some of the things that he says Because I've been struck over the last couple months as I've been reading the Gospels about the language Jesus uses to describe faith. He actually measures it. You know, we talk about having faith or not having faith in terms of being saved or coming into the kingdom of God. Scripture says if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, then you're saved. This is the kind of faith you either have or you don't have. Right? But there's another kind of faith that Jesus is constantly referencing in the Gospels in terms of what we believe about him and his abilities or God and his abilities that Jesus doesn't speak of either only either having or not having. He actually measures it. He speaks about little amounts and large amounts and weakness. So listen to some of the things Jesus says. After the disciples wake Jesus in the middle of a furious storm with, Lord, save us, we're going to drown, he replies, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? When a woman who's been subject to bleeding for 12 years reaches out to touch Jesus and is healed, Jesus says to her, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. When some people come from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, saying, your daughter's dead, don't bother the teacher anymore, Jesus tells him, don't be afraid, just believe. When two blind men ask him to heal them, Jesus asks them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They answer, yes, Lord. And he touches their eyes and says, according to your faith. Let it be done to you. After Peter comes walking to Jesus on the stormy water and begins to sink, Jesus reaches out his hand, catches him, and says, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When a Canaanite woman is not rebuffed by Jesus' initial answer that he came first for the lost sheep of Israel, but again asks in a different way, Jesus tells her, Woman, You have great faith. To his disciples, 
Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound, or the literal translation is, will be having been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be having been loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And I need to caveat that one by saying, these are not conditions for getting our will done. These are conditions for seeing the will of God be done. Right? This isn't like Brendan and I could agree on, we'd really like a Porsche to show up on our doorstep. I mean, it's kind of obvious, but these are... God wants something to be done and he's called me to pray and I'm praying in faith that the will of God would be done and we can believe that praying that way it'll be done. On the way into Jerusalem, Jesus says to a fig tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. The next morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembers and says to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answers. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the heart of the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've received it and it will be yours. And again, same thing, not conditions for getting our will done but God's. Do you know there's only two times in all of the Gospels that it says Jesus was astonished or amazed? Two times. And both times, he's amazed at faith or a lack of faith. When a Roman centurion tells Jesus not to come to his home, but just to give the order and his servant would be healed, Matthew records, Jesus was astonished. He was amazed. He says, I've not seen such great faith even in Israel. In Jesus' hometown, he could not do any miracles there. Isn't that interesting? The Son of God could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So again, faith can be present, faith can be absent, faith can be measured, it can be little, it can be small, it can be great, it can be anywhere in between. And I want to start, before I launch into the sermon, by just asking, how is our faith as a community and as individuals? If Jesus evaluated my faith right now, what would he say to me about the degree the scope, the size of it, would he say, man, you have great faith, like he said, woman? Or would he say, Dave, you have some faith. You have growing faith. Your faith wavered. What, what would he say? This is hugely important because whether there is faith or not, impacts whether people get healed, whether people get delivered from the kingdom of darkness and from the effects of evil, whether the kingdom of God advances or not. All rides and rests on, 
Is their faith present? Yes, God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he's decided that it's his good pleasure to work through and with human faith. And so this morning, Jesus is really upset. He's upset with his disciples. He comes down from that mountain and a man comes to him and he says, Lord, please have mercy on me. My boy gets thrown into the fire. He gets thrown into the water. He's just being tormented. And in in Luke's version, it says he's being tormented by an evil spirit. And, And your disciples couldn't cast him out. And what's the first thing Jesus says? He says, oh, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Now, friends, these are really strong words. And we've got to ask, what is it that makes Jesus so upset? Why would Jesus react so strongly, compassionate, loving Jesus? Why would he not just step right in and bring the healing or bring the deliverance? But why in that moment does he reflect such a measure of upsetness? Why is he upset with his disciples? Well, perverse means twisted. It means something is off. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And I think that's our clue into what Jesus is so upset about. I want to suggest to you that he's upset about two things put together. The first thing is maybe we'll say it this way two principles or two key revelations. If one of them isn't present, this healing and deliverance don't happen. And so here are the two one, God's complete goodness. He is only good. He is always good. His nature is good. He cannot be anything other than good. And so in his goodness, he hates and he detests evil. And therefore, he is willing to deliver from evil all who come to him. So there's this revelation of the character of God that needs to be held on to. God is only always good. And as good, he is a deliverer from evil. But the second part is this. God is sovereign and strong and able to do the delivering. So not only is he good, not only does he have a heart that always longs and is willing to deliver everyone who comes to him, but he's also able. He has the strength and the power and the ability. And so when you partner those two things together, everyone who comes to God saying, deliver me from evil, should get delivered. And so why is he, why is he upset with his disciples? Because they didn't persevere in that knowledge. They gave up. Meaning, they, they as representatives of God, either gave up on the revelation that God wanted, was good enough and wanted to bring deliverance, or they gave up on the revelation that God was sovereignly strong and able to bring the deliverance. You've got to hold the two of them together, and the disciples gave up on one of them. They backed down and away. Maybe they were operating in their own strength and not in that of Jesus. We don't know. We don't have deep insight into what happened. We just know that they're giving up made Jesus really upset because they should have, if their eyes were locked onto the goodness of God as revealed in Scripture and the willingness and ability 
of God to deliver. What has he shown them already in the Old Testament? I am the Lord who delivered you out of Egypt, who delivers you from Egypt. I am the Lord who heals you. Exodus 15. If they held on to these revelations of the, the character of God and his ability, they would have persevered. And so what happens if Jesus doesn't come down the mountain at this moment? I want you to hear how, how grave this is. If Jesus doesn't show up on the scene, that little boy is tormented. And his parents are tormented through his torment and his siblings and his family. And eventually, that spirit that's tormenting him succeeds in taking his life. We understand how much rests on human faith and faith that cooperates with God on the basis of these revelations. If Jesus is not present, this boy carries on in his torment. I want to tell you another almost disastrous story from only a few years ago. Would you flip the slide? Sam, would you flip the slide to this picture? This is Joyce and John Smith. Uh, Joyce adopted John. I think he's from uh, originally from Guatemala. And um, I, I, I think it was about four or five years ago, he and three friends were out on uh, that, that pond that you see behind them in the winter. And the ice broke and they fell through. And the friends were able to get out, but he wasn't. And he drowned. And he was underwater for 15 minutes before paramedics fished him out. And there's a long backstory on the miraculous um, ability to fish him out. But they fished him out unresponsive, unbreathing. And he went to the hospital and um, was not revived by doctors, was pulseless for 41 minutes, was declared dead. And she was called and came to the hospital and was being told by the doctor that her son was dead and invited to go into the, um, the room where they'd been operating on him to say her last goodbyes to him before they took him off the machine. And she moved by the doctor and into that operating room and she laid her feet, her hands on his feet and she said, Holy Spirit, bring back my son. Beep. 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 And all the nurses and unbelieving doctors who were in the room that day said that they felt a presence move through the room that actually knocked multiple nurses back from the table. Now, I want to say a little bit more about this story and unpack it a little bit, some background to it. But before I do that, I want to tell you another short story. It's about a little girl named Olive. Some of you may have heard what's being called Wake Up Olive, two-year-old daughter of a worship leader from Bethel Church in Redding, California, stopped breathing in her sleep in December. And uh, that community has seen many miracles of the Lord and has a strong faith. And the parents themselves called the church to pray for the resurrection of their daughter. And the church gathered and prayed in fervent faith for six days, even as the daughter was in the morgue. And in a, in a couple, I read a couple articles and some statements from leadership of the church, and they described the way in which they did not ignore grief, they did not ignore lament, they both lamented 
what was happening at the same time as they prayed with fervent faith. And at day six, they said, it appears to us that our good God, who we have unshakable faith in, is not raising all of. And so we're going to plan a memorial service. And they moved on to plan that service. Now, I tell you that for for a couple of reasons. I want you to hear that in saying, Holy Spirit, bring back my son, Joyce was not ordering God around. In the same way that these folks at Bethel were not ordering God around. What they were doing was they were presenting human faith in his goodness and his abilities as a means for him to work. Not saying that they had a predetermined knowledge of how he was going to work. Not telling him what to do, but simply offering him human faith as that ability through which, that place through which he works on earth. And so these folks at Bethel had no bitterness. They had no disillusionment. They worshipped God in grief like they worshipped him in, in joy at other times. And Joyce presented that same faith and the Lord worked through it. And the whole medical community said, this is absolutely of God, even though we can't understand it. He was dead and now he's alive. And uh, uh, there's a major movie that's actually been made of it. God told a Hispanic pastor, what's it called? Breakthrough. Breakthrough. God told a Hispanic pastor in Florida, make a movie of this. And he did. So anyways, um, Joyce, I watched an interview with Joyce and she was asked, um, well, let me say this first. Let me ask this. If that was your child, if that was your friend, what would you have done? Is it even an option in your mind's eye to pray a kind of prayer like that? Would you present that kind of faith before the Lord? Would you present him through that faith with the opportunity to work in that way? Why did Joyce do that? In an interview, she said, years before this happened, I began to have this growing hunger for God. I just wanted to know him. And so I joined this Bible study with this group of women, and we just devoured the word of God. And um, I grew hungrier and hungrier for God and hungry to know him, hungry for his word. And as we studied, we studied a, a Beth Moore study, and um, in that, it was called Believing God. And in that study, we had a five-statement pledge of faith, which we would say every day as we got up and through the day as we could remember it. And it was, God, you are who you say you are. You do what you say you do. I am who you say I am. I can do all things through Christ. Your word is alive and active in me. And she said it over and over and over until this day happened. And then on this day, she says, well, I guess I'm going to find out what I really do believe, but I am going to present my faith to the Lord and see what he will do. She prepared for that mountain of grief and of despair that would overwhelm her. I mean, any one of us that would get a call like that, and some of us have. We know what it's like to just be faced with this. It's like a wave that just washes over you. Friends, as we seek to represent Jesus in this world and as we seek to advance his kingdom, there are constantly obstacles, objects that are 
getting right up in our face and saying, you can't do this, you can't go here, be afraid, this isn't possible, your marriage won't get fixed, your relationships won't change, your son won't come back to the Lord, you're this, constantly presenting themselves as mountains in front of us. And it's no mistake that Jesus uses this language in the text of, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, be uprooted and be removed and it'll be moved from you. So so often we allow ourselves to get intimidated, to get afraid, to get overwhelmed, and we throw a pity party. Quite honestly, we grieve and we lament too soon. Not that they don't have their proper place, but we assume that everything that's happening is the will of God. And it's not. And so we throw a pity party rather than speak to that thing that's in front of us or that's in the way or that's, that's opposing the work and the will and the kingdom of God in faith. So if God doesn't answer how I desire or expect, that's on him. But my role is to express confident faith and to speak and to pray accordingly. So I want to share a few personal examples of learning to do this. Because this is not normal. It can be and feel very strange. Okay? So, I'm going to, just a bunch of little examples. A number of years ago, I and a dear one were having a struggle in our relationship and in communication in the relationship. And it felt like there was something that was blocking really just really hearing and understanding. And we didn't know what that something was, but it just felt like things weren't getting through in a way that we could really hear and understand the other. And I, I, I came into this sanctuary and I knelt down before the cross and I humbled myself before the Lord and I said, Lord, it's not your will that we should be struggling this way. It's not your will that this relationship should have this brokenness in it. And I felt the Lord bubble up in my spirit, this text about the mountain. And so I got up in the middle of the sanctuary and I said, Mountain, I don't even know what you are, but there's something in this relationship that's not supposed to be here. And I speak to you in the name of Jesus and I command you to be removed. The next day I was driving from a pastoral visit. I got a phone call from this dear one and they said, The Lord woke me up in the night and began to speak to me. And they began to get revelation from the Lord about what was the issue or what was affecting the dynamics and the communication. And I pulled over into the Aldi parking lot and wept. Because God, you're so good. You're so good. A number of years ago, we were ministering to a family. And the woman in the family was making some poor decisions and trying to leave the state and the region with children. Without the Father's blessing. We were, we were pleading fervently for it not to happen but you can't control people when they make poor decisions. And so that morning, early one Friday morning, I was praying for her and I felt the Lord again bubble up this specific text. Actually, he brought it up through a devotional I was reading. And I said, well, Lord, I've got faith. Let me speak to that mountain. And I, I, I spoke and I asked, I pray in faith that you would not allow her. I don't remember exactly how I said it, but you just need to hear we can't control people in prayer. Okay. That's witchcraft. Uh, so I don't remember exactly how I said it, but I prayed that she not be able to cross the state line to leave. Three hours later, we're sitting in a prayer meeting in 
our office and my text, my phone buzzed with a text from someone else in the congregation that said, I just got a text from this woman. Her car broke down on the state line. She's taking it into a shop and she's coming back home. A few years ago, I was ministering to a gentleman in my office and he confessed this uh, involvement in pornography and a lot of sexual sin and lust. And uh, I heard his confession and I spoke the forgiveness of the Lord and the cleansing and uh, ministered to him. And then I said in, I, in faith, I hadn't seen any manifestations of an unclean spirit. I just know that I saw the fruit of it. And I said, in the name and the authority of Jesus, I command any unclean spirit that's been given ground in this man through the sins just committed to leave now. And he was bent over the desk praying with me and he went, whoa, like that. Sometimes when I minister to people, I see shame on them. And so I say, shame, be broken in the name of Jesus. You have no power here. You have no power over this person's heart or their mind or their spirit because Jesus has set them free and Jesus cleanses. Okay. We speak to things that we can't see. That, that feels strange to us, doesn't it? It takes holy boldness to pray and to speak and to bind and to loose. I think sometimes we can be a little scared even here at Gold Avenue Church, to be odd. But friends, we're not of this world. We don't need to fit into this world. We've come out of one kingdom and into another. We represent the king on the earth. And he's called us to live with holy boldness and unshakable faith in the character of the king and his desire to work through us. You know what? Sometimes those mountains you got to remo- you got to stand against are in you. Sometimes there's something in you that doesn't want to yield to the love of God. Doesn't want to yield to God's purposes for your life. Sometimes it's just a, there's a there's an area where I I continue to struggle even with being healed, my own heart. And God calls us, when we can identify those things, to name them and to stand against them, to resist them in Jesus' name and authority. He says, in other words, introduce your mountains to the greatness of God. That's right. Because you know what? Whatever you magnify gets magnified. Whatever you focus on grows bigger. So if you've got a fear and you look at it and you look at it some more and you look at it some more, it gets bigger. It doesn't get smaller. If you've got an insecurity or a hurt and you look at it and you meditate on it, it grows within you. If you've got unbelief as a struggle and you look at that unbelief, it actually grows. It gets magnified. Whatever you magnify by looking at gets magnified. So when you look at Jesus and you look at him longer and you look at his love and you put yourself on your knees before that cross and you say, what kind of love is this that comes into this world that offers itself free, that speaks to mockers and sinners and haters and says, Father, forgive them, that chases after murderers 
and says, you're mine, come into my kingdom, you're going to serve me. When you posture yourself before that love and you just look at it, the love gets magnified. When you look at, when you read the Gospels over and over and you look at what Jesus, how Jesus relates to people, how Jesus does things in faith, you're, you're magnifying Jesus. And your faith grows. And so, introduce your mountains to the greatness of God. Magnify God, not the mountain. This kind of faith, it's not for a few. It's not just for Nick as he's running the neighborhood or for Jackie as she's in the coffee shop. It's not just for people who call themselves charismatics. It's for every believer. Ephesians 1 says, 1-3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. All that Christ is, he makes available to us and longs to work through us. The question is whether and how much we'll yield ourselves to him in faith. Will we be those whose worldviews are biblical? Whose worldviews allow themselves to say, God, you can use me to pray in certain very bold ways, to speak in certain very bold ways, to bring in the authority of your, of your name, to bring your kingdom to bear. Nobody else works where Joel Boonder works. Dwayne is not going to go to Joel's work and do this for him. And Dwayne, uh, Rick is not going to go to Dwayne's work and do this for him. God stationed Rick where only people around him need the kingdom of God are going to hear it through him. Stationed every one of us uniquely. Positioned us with unique neighbors and unique relationships. Are we allowing God in our prayers for them and the things we say to them to move through our faith everything that Christ is he is for us and through us Jesus says if you've got faith as small as a mustard seed not only can you move this mountain but nothing will be impossible for you and we're going to prove him in that we're going to prove him in the, our continued life together as a church family, in new ministries that are being birthed, coffee shop. We're going to prove him in that as we launch Empowered for Witness, which if you, last plug, because it starts Thursday, what are we at now? 120, 124. So we've got 26 walk-in spots left. But if you listen to Jackie and you think, boy, I would like to learn to sense how God's leading and cooperate with him like that, to be able to 
bring encouragement to people, bring words from God. This is where we're going to learn that. We're going to lay a, first we're going to lay a biblical and theological foundation, and then we're going to learn about the gifts, the power of the Spirit. Okay? And, and empowered for witness, we are going to see God change his church and renew his church. And so I'm going to invite Pastor Gina up, and she's going to lead us in an application of this sermon to pray with great faith and with great boldness. We heard the story of the mother that called for the Holy Spirit to come and all of a sudden beep, beep, beep. And Jesus calls his church to wake up. And as we get ready to pray right now, and as we pray for this move of the Spirit with the Empowered for Witness class, as we pray that he would wake us up and fill us with his spirit and understand and cooperate and help us to grow in our faith. I believe that as we pray, he starts to beep, 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 wake up his church and grow up his church. And so we're going to turn now and we're going to pray, Lord, strengthen faith, strengthen it in me. We're going to pray for this training. We're going to pray as the Lord leads us in response to this sermon where he's saying, I'm looking for you to exert faith. When I return, will I find faith on the earth? And so let's pray. Lord, would you now come upon us and help us to pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done as we prepare 